Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. My name is Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. Today on the show we're going to be talking about a South Korean film, potentially for the first time, which as I'm saying out loud doesn't seem right. Have we done another one? My mind is blanking. But either way, this is not a film that I had actually heard of before I sat down to sort out an episode with today's guest. Today's guest will obviously introduce himself, but as you've already seen... From the title of the episode, we have Ryan Estrada with us today. Ryan is a brand new voice for the show, and I'm always excited when I can bring on different people to get different perspectives. I think Ryan and I had a great conversation, and we had a good time talking. And he has a massive home field advantage in that he actually lives in South Korea. So he's actually able to point out some things to me that maybe I wouldn't get because of the architecture of the buildings and some of the cultural significance of the way like certain shops are and why the audience who are watching this in Korea would pick up on stuff that I wouldn't being that I don't live there. (laughs) Ryan's an established author in his own right and he knows a ton of cool stuff which I'll, I'll let him introduce when we actually get over there. I also just want to quickly do something that I don't normally do which is thank everybody for the last few weeks of support of the show, it has actually been kind of mind-blowing how many people tuned in for last, well, the last episode. I was not expecting Forever Red to have such a massive, immediate listenership. And that was really cool that so many people turned up for that. And I was really, really taken aback by just how many of you were interested in mine and Amit's conversation. And on top of that, for those people who do not follow the show on Twitter, it is Addicts Action, uh, because the other name was already taken. The links are always in the show notes if you want it. We put out a tweet recently, as in this week at the time of recording, and uh, I basically said that I want to do a themed month, and I want the, the theme to be ninjas. And I asked you guys... What are some of your ninja movies that you really, really enjoy? And if you haven't seen that post yet, and this is the first time you're hearing about it and you're a regular listener, you're more than welcome to still go and find that post. It will not be hard to find because, oh my sweet lord, did that get a response. Uh, I've got a lot of suggestions now of what ninja movies to do, and there was definitely some very clear winners in popularity in terms of what films people would like to see. I will also announce this probably afterwards, but if you're listening to this, you'll hear it first. Ninja Month, which is what I was originally going to do, is not going to work. There's too many films that I really, really want to do. And whilst I could easily just do this again in another year's time, which I think I will definitely have enough uh, choice to do, I don't want to as such. I I might, but I kind of want to just have a a season, if you will, of ninja-themed content. And so with that in mind, the next four episodes of the show, including this one, are already recorded and filmed. I know what they are. They're nothing to do with ninjas, for the most part. And uh, once they're done, Shinobi Season 
can begin. And I am going to have some very familiar names on, pretty much all of whom volunteered themselves the second they heard about this. Apparently ninjas are still really popular, even though their uh, 1980s craze has long since passed. But, oh wow, everybody that's been on the show seemed to immediately volunteer themselves for an episode, and most of them had a film in mind. And most of the films that they said, with one or two exceptions, are the same films that everybody else kept telling me to do. So, if you've got a shokasugi uh craving then you're definitely going to get it fulfilled in the month of august and potentially september as well it depends when exactly it, it rolls over and starts but that's what the future of the show currently looks like and i'm very excited for it and that's a longer intro that i, I normally do these days so i'm gonna hand you over to ryan and myself now to tell you all about the film exit which i really enjoyed and it was a very different pick for this show and it uh it, it really helped to go a long way in my whole I like to try and find diverse and perhaps unsung heroes of the action community. As you'll hear us say, I think, again in a moment, th this wasn't actually the film that we wanted to cover originally. Stay tuned for the end for a potential update about that. But until then guys, enjoy the show and I'll see you in the outro. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We are back in the live room, and today I am joined by a very special guest. I'm going to throw it over to Ryan to let him introduce himself, but honestly, guys, Ryan does a lot of stuff. Sit down. This could take a minute. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing pretty good. So my name is Ryan Estrada. Uh, I am best known as a author, artist, and adventurer, which means I travel around the world making comics and books and videos and podcasts and all sorts of weird things. People may know me from uh, the little comic that went viral called Learn to Read Korean in 15 Minutes or uh, my Eisner-nominated Freeman Award-winning graphic novel Band Book Club or a million other things you can find at ryanestrada.com. But for the purposes of this podcast, what I am is a nerd for Korean movies. Uh, I have been living in Korea on and off since 2002. I've been attending the uh, Busan International Film Festival since then, which is the uh, Asia's largest film festival. And I've met all sorts of uh, actors and directors from the industry. And uh, yeah, I love um, I love Korean action movies because Korean action movies are a lot different from uh, action movies anywhere else. And in that in the, they kind of, Korean action movies kind of branched into two different types. There's the one everybody knows about that's the like, uh, I'm a really dark, brooding, uh, morally gray man who's uh, driven by revenge and I'm going to bloody up everyone I come across, uh, whether they deserve it or not, to, to get what I need done. And there's also the other branch that I love even more, which is the I'm a dork ass loser who has no right to be in an action movie and I'm going to be in an action movie. And that's what I love. There's so many movies like that of just people that uh, you walk into a movie and look at them and they're like, yeah, that, that person's not going to succeed. And sometimes they genuinely don't. Uh, and um, and they often fail miserably or they uh, succeed in the dorkiest way. And so that's what I came on to talk about is one such movie. Yes, yes. I uh, 
I definitely agree that that is what fits this particular film's bill. This was a first time watch for me. This was your specific pick. Uh, there was another film that we wanted to do, but unfortunately it is currently lost to the depths of time. No one seems to have a copy of it. It doesn't seem to be online anywhere, so I couldn't watch it. But I'm really happy that you suggested this film because I'd, I'd be honest, I'd have never have found this film otherwise. And when I watched it, I genuinely enjoyed it in a different way to other action films. Not just because it's about, like you said, an unlikely hero coming to the rescue, but because it is an action film, but it's not a martial arts film. It's not a, a car chase film. There's not big explosions. The tension and the buildup and the drama and the excitement comes in a very different way, which is basically uh, could be summed up in that meme from the office of parkour. And I love that because it just fits the theme so well of this is not your big muscular guy coming in to save the day and just battering straight in. Because even if we had that guy, he'd be useless because you're not actually fighting anyone. There is no arch nemesis there is no villain it's basically you're fighting an inanimate object and it's gonna win it's, so you have to outrun it which instantly makes it very different it's been done don't get me wrong uh but i just love i love the execution of it and i'm assuming that that's why you wanted to talk about exit specifically because uh like i said it was your pick so what drew you to it yeah well like i said i like there's a lot of these movies where it's someone with zero skills trying to solve um, a problem. But this one is a little bit different in that this is a movie about someone with one specific skill. No other skills. He has no social skills. He has no job skills that, you know, apply to anything that he's trying to do in his life. Everyone in his life tells him he's wasting his time. Uh, why is he spending all his time going to this climbing gym and not getting a job? And he's like, you know, the whole, whole like, it's not a hobby, mom, kind of thing. Like, yeah, uh, him trying to prove himself that this skill isn't dorky. Everyone thinks it's dorky. And then the one situation happens where that one skill is exactly what he needs to prove himself and save the day. And it's like, this is my time. And it's like a movie where it's like it's celebrating the dorks of the world where like the dorks can do things. And that as we go, more and more dorks come in and uh, and solve this in in very uh, you know ways relating to what they do, and it just makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree, and I suppose uh, normally I don't do this, but I'm going to do it for this film. I'm going to read to the audience the description of the film, which is that a rock climber tries to save the day when a mysterious white gas envelops an entire district in Seoul, South Korea, which leaves much to the imagination, but that is pretty much what happens. But for those people who likely haven't seen this film, try and find it. It's going to be a bit of a challenge. I managed to. It, it did take a bit of searching, but it is out there. So just see if you can watch it, because honestly, I think this deserves to be seen. We're going to obviously talk about it and talk about things that happen and the spoilers, etc. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily say in all honesty that it's a film where the spoilers are going to ruin it for you. I still could enjoy this quite happily knowing what's happened. And, I, I you know, I will rewatch this again. But uh, if you genuinely don't want that for, you know, you want to watch it fresh, then see if you can find it first, because we are going to talk about this film in great detail, as we always do. But as this is probably one of the few films I've covered where people probably haven't seen this, that's the basic plot. 
now we're going to talk about characters and stuff. But before we do, the one thing that I do find really interesting about this film, and uh, I'd love your insight into this, I cannot believe that this is Lee Sang-gen's like, only director's credit. I mean, he's got a couple of short films to his name, but the fact that this is such a good film, and it's it's rated really highly on like IMDb as well. It's got like 7 uh, out of 10. And it's the only film to his name. Normally, you'd expect to see a bunch of experience leading up to that or maybe some other jobs. But nah, he just came in and was like, no, nah, I got this first go, bro. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a very strong, uh, you know, uh, opening. This movie came out just a few years ago. So hopefully that, you know, that, that it's only it just means he's hard at work at his second film. Um, you know, there there are uh, we'll, we'll mention a few things that aren't exactly perfect. That yes. I can see that you know as as he goes on his uh, um, might improve, but he just you know the parts that work. I think as soon as the plot kicks in and like it starts moving, you can see just the you know visually and editing wise, like how much he's able to create tension in in very funny ways. So hopefully, there's a lot more to come from him. Yeah, I I certainly hope so. I mean, when it comes to my exposure to Korean films. I'm definitely more familiar with the other type of film that you mentioned at mm -hmm. the start. I think we, we spoke a while back and I said, you know, I'm, I really like my Ma Dong-suk films. And I think a lot of people in general were introduced to just anything South Korean through Squid Game on Netflix. For me, I think I started my journey with The Bad Guys, which does actually star um, Don, but it also stars a bunch of other guys who are also really famous uh, in Korea. And they've all had pretty interesting careers. And it kind of set me off on a path of consuming their content. There are other films I've seen like here and there, you know, those big ones that kind of break through culturally and get Blu-ray releases in the West. But a lot of the stuff, you know, most of us just don't know is there because it just doesn't make any, it doesn't make that jump across the ocean. And I love the fact that there are people like yourself and shows like this one that can kind of go, hey, everyone. Come and watch this. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, hopefully if, if people like this one, uh, I, you know, I, I, I can give some recommendations at the end of other dorky movies because it, it's, it's such a distinct branch of like you, when you look at a poster, you know which one of these two branches you're getting into. And just the dorky ones are just so adorable. And they, I think with both, kind of both, both of them, but with either one, I always joke that... Um, Korea does the opposite thing with actors, whereas like in, in the U.S. it's like um, it, they'll call an actor and say, hey, we need you for this action movie. You have six months to get in ridiculous shape. In Korea, they're like, hey, we need you in an action movie. You have six months to look like you fell out of a dumpster. Because like you, you mentioned Squid Game. If you look at um, if you watch Squid Game, Google a picture of what Lee Jung-jae actually looks like, the main guy. And like he is a very hot man. He does not look like the disheveled, uh, beat-up dude in that movie. They they really want someone that you can turn on a movie and be like, that guy? Like, that's that's what they're going for. They they want people, like, I, I've met Song Gang-ho, who's been in a lot of these movies uh, in person. And that dude, like, in every movie, he look, you're like, oh, he's getting old. Like, he's got bags under his eyes. He's got a pouch on him. And then you, you meet him in real life, and you're like, you look like 40 years younger than you do in any movie. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's, it's a, it, it's a, it's an interesting type of movie that they go against what you want. And it, I, for me, that makes it more exciting 
because if you watch a dude who looks in movie shape and he just jumps on screen with all the skills he needs, you're like, yeah, so he's going to, I know what he's going to do, whatever, you know, and you can have fun watching it, but there's no tension of, can he do this? Whereas in a Korean movie, you're like, that guy, like, can he survive the take? Like, yeah, yeah, no, to be honest, it's, um, it kind of goes hand in hand with an observation I made in my last episode on Indian cinema, which was Vikram, I think, with Mike Scott. And I made a point of saying that, you know, I've watched a few Indian films now because I'm very new to that whole uh, area of films. And they seem to not care what people look like, whether it's how they look facially, what state they're in. There's a lot of dad bods that are considered like leading men and they, you know, they're action leads which I'm 100% on board with because I think there's a lot of people that are in tremendous shape that don't look it in real life. And I think 99% of the people that you said that are these Hollywood um, built people, when you see them in real life, they don't look like that, but they're still fit. It's just that's the reality of what um, someone who's actually having to live life looks like versus the person Mm -hmm. that's having all their nutrition, all of their gym work and everything covered and paid for by a movie studio and expected to do nothing else in the meantime. Yeah. So I really like this aspect. And also that type of shape that like Marvel heroes get in, like literally if you stayed like that, you would die. Yes. Like a human human body can't look like that unless like, okay, let's look like that for like one month so we can get these pictures and then please eat something or you will faint and we will be sued. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not even eating, is it? Because a lot of the time when you do those like those muscular shirtless scenes, they're dehydrating themselves so yeah. that you can see all of their muscles come through the skin. And all of them, all of the bodybuilders that do this all say the same thing, which is that it is physically impossible to look like I do in my shirtless scenes the rest of any any other point in time, because to do that for any length of time would be severely damaging. And the fact that there's so many people that still don't get that is like, really? (laughs) That kind of leads into the beginning of this film, which is the one part that I think isn't as strong. Um, So as I mentioned, in Korean movies, they always want the guy to look terrible. But in this movie, plot wise, this guy is very much in shape. Yeah. Because the point of him is that uh, he went to a rock climbing girl with uh, went, went to a rock climbing gym with this girl that he likes. And there was this move that he couldn't do and she she could. And he was so embarrassed. And then he asked her out and she said no. And that broke his heart so badly that, like, he just has been obsessed with finishing what he couldn't do all along. And that likely had absolutely nothing to do with her decision. He just was really upset about it. And so that's all he does now is train for this one move. And um, so within the movie, they had to have him look good. And so they, I think that kind of broke the filmmakers where they're like, how can we make sure the audience knows that this guy's an unlikely hero, even though he looks like someone you'd see in an action movie, even if he did it the dorkiest way. Um, And so what they decide to do is spend the first 21 minutes of the movie having everyone he meets tell him how much he sucks. Yeah. And that happens a lot in Korean movies where there's always a scene where someone's like, you're pathetic, like, you know, why don't you have a job, blah, blah, blah. But this person does it with about 14 different groups of people, most of which never appear in the film again. They cast actors and got locations specifically, have someone tell me sucks, then he goes to another building, someone tells me sucks, 
He goes to a party at a table. Someone tells me he sucks. He goes to the next table. And it's like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> we Can we get this thing moving? So I do warn people to watch. There are 21 minutes where this is going to happen a lot uh, until the plot kicks in. And then once the plot kicks in, then it's like the momentum is moving. But it starts a little slow. No, I, I completely agree because when it starts and he's in that playground and his nephew doesn't want to know him, I was like, oh, okay. That to me told me straight away that clearly he's not the most popular person in his family and even just where he lives. But then it was like he's denied applications for jobs that he should have gotten. And it's like, uh, I can relate. You know, I, I unfortunately identified with this character a lot because I've had my issues in the past of trying to get jobs when I shouldn't have had issues. And I felt a lot for him because of it. And the fact that his entire family, just basically pile on instead of understanding that realistically he's doing everything right and what he can do it's not an aspect he can control whether or not somebody else says yes and the mm -hmm. fact that his sister is so mean the fact that his nephew doesn't want to know him both of his parents are they're trying to be that old school supportive but they're also like very much happy to just state their opinion which is a hundred percent how they would see it they're like oh we're not being mean we're just stating our opinion but it, it all it does is just make him feel like the smallest person on the planet and like he's totally useless and then unfortunately that is what he is portraying and that's what he's putting out when he's going into these job interviews and i think something that they did really well in the flashback that you referenced is you can tell he doesn't really get on with anybody because he's so small and timid in that flashback. Like, he, he doesn't say anything until he tries to ask her out. And you're like, that's why she said no. And that's why no one likes you. It's because you give off this weird energy that nobody wants to really be around. And what I like is, as the film goes on, one of the elements that comes through is he often does know what to do. And I, I, I made a comment uh, in my notes that like the skills he has and the way he reacts to things when it all starts going wrong at the beginning, he shouldn't be applying for like office jobs. He should be applying for like paramedic units or search and rescue people, you know, that those sorts of organizations. He's got the perfect skill set for it. He wouldn't even need to be trained, really. He knows so much. And there's multiple points in the in the early parts where it all kicks off where he knows what he should do, but his family talks him out of it or someone talks him out of it. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I couldn't do that. But eventually he breaks through that and he's like, to hell with it. I'm going to do it. And the funny thing is, is that I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. But the way he breaks through it is he literally breaks through glass. And I, and I oh, love yeah. that, like that visual representation of like, I'm not listening to you anymore. And he breaks the glass so that he can get out and start trying to help them but in my mind i'm sort of going he's also breaking free of the fact that he's been trapped by them and all of their expectations their negativity their constant beratement and it's like no shut the fuck up i got this and the way that the family then comes around it makes that first 21 minutes i would say it's still too much but it does make you kind of go i i I forgive them a little bit for the fact yeah. that they're just so constant with it because they are good people underneath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that whole thing's like a common theme in Korean movies, this the unemployment and how difficult it is to get a job 
uh, at the start when you're young. Um, and the thing is that pressure to have, like he mentioned, I'm only going to apply for jobs at the top of buildings. Like that's the job that people, people want, even if there are jobs they're more suited to. Just like in Korea, every single person wants to get into Seoul National University because that's the thing that you do. And they have like, you know, a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of acceptance because everybody applies there. And you can go to an equally good school, but then it's a disappointment because you didn't go to the, the goal that everyone has. And so he's trying to chase this goal that everyone in the country has, even though he has specific skills. Um, so, yeah, so nothing's working out until that moment where the film suddenly shifts and you're like, oh, wait, is this an action movie? Is this a disaster movie? Yes. Yeah. And the other thing that they do really well before it all kicks off as well is the girl that he asked out is actually working in the place where the, where him, his family ends up to celebrate uh, his father's birthday, mother's birthday. I can't remember. But anyway, his mother's it, birthday. Yeah, mother's birthday. Yeah. And uh, Yuju, which is the girl, she is working there as the, the vice manager. And they do a really good job of convincing the audience that she has like essentially got a decent life you know she's the assistant manager essentially of this really fancy restaurant type place she's really well kept together she sees him they have a chat and it, it from the outside looking in it looks like well she has everything she wants but then within a very short amount of time they show you that actually she's pretty much in the same boat as him she hates this job she doesn't get the respect she's treated very poorly by her boss i could go further than treated very poorly but i'll say treated very poorly and uh everything that she does is uh, is not appreciated she basically runs the place and he takes all of the credit is very much the vibe that they give they kind of give you almost the same story with her as they've given you with him but with her, they're much more efficient and without, like you say, 21 minutes of just, you're shit at life, um, which I liked because it, 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 they both needed to break out of this rut that they're stuck in. But they're very different places, but they are ultimately in the same bit in life, which is that they're not happy. They don't want to do what they're currently doing. And mm -hmm. the fact that it then kicks off with this disaster film element where this toxic gas gets released. And it's very visceral. Like this is the thing that caught me off guard when I was watching it. Is it's not a like a uh, a violent or gory film, but they don't shy away from the realities of something that goes horribly wrong. Like this mm -hmm. toxic gas, it can suffocate you. It is toxic, so if it touches your skin, it starts corroding it and burning it. And just having any contact with it is all pretty much guaranteed to lead to some very severe reactions, if not death. And, yep. you know, so many people go out before they even have a chance to realize that that's what's happening, that, that it's kind of like, oh, OK. And my favorite part about that entire thing is that there are three young girls who see the gas coming towards them and their immediate reaction is to take a selfie with the gas. And I died of laughter and I thought this is the, the most realistic part of the film. It's like death is coming towards us. Quick, let's take a selfie. <laughs> Yeah, and the the contrast in those scenes, just because we haven't seen any violence yet, even though it's not one of those brutal, you know, bloody thrillers, the fact that all of a sudden a lot of people are dropping dead, you're like, oh my, like it's shocking that it's, yeah. it's this huge tonal shift. And you're like, and it's like now these characters from a sitcom are going to have to deal with a deadly action movie. 
And um, and from that point on, it, it kind of reminds me of speed. In that speed, there's this specific thing that you have to keep above a certain speed. Whereas here, it's you have to keep above a certain floor because this gas is rising and that, you know, the gas is expanding. So the, the, the stakes are always getting higher as we're safe right now, but it's just about to rise to us. And, and now he's going to have to figure out how to keep everyone safe. Might just have a couple skills that can help him do it. Yeah. And, and you're not wrong when you say it suddenly like really kicks off because there's a sequence that just, it feels like it goes from zero to a hundred really quickly where the girls take the selfie. But then there's a series of car crashes. And now that in and of itself is, oh, we've seen car crashes before. But <laughs> yeah, wait, the car crashes. The driver gets hit by the gas. And then another car crashes into the petrol station, which causes this massive explosion, which then makes the gas move, which then triggers more car crashes. One of the vans driving along happens to be a van containing a load of gasoline tanks, which then crashes into something else, which causes another massive explosion. It's like... Oh my god, so much happens so quickly. It's like the death toll suddenly just shoots through the roof and you're like, what is going on? And it's a really good sequence because it then cuts back to the family who are evacuating the building because they don't know what's happening because one of those gas tanks comes in and essentially smashes through the wall. So it's a it's a realistic reaction. But when they get outside, they see that this isn't just uh, uh, some random thing that's happened to their building everybody is panicking there's people running there's cars going all over the place but there's a huge explosion off screen and our boy the main character young nam he hears the chaos and people screaming and runs towards it whereas the rest of his family are trying to run away from it with the crowd and i absolutely love that because i i literally wrote like he's allegedly the loser of the family yet he's the one running straight towards danger and I do mean running. And he like starts helping people. He sees what's going to happen. He sees what's coming towards them. He helps a couple of people who've fallen over. And he is immediately like telling the family that they need to get back inside. His sister, unfortunately, gets stuck. So he has to rescue her and she gets a little bit of the gas. Um, and his nephew, you know, he's like stuck outside as well. So in a very short space of time, he's just immediately gone into instinct mode and shown like, when other people aren't in his way, he knows exactly what to do in what is one of the like most serious life or death situations you could find yourself in. There's no hesitation and there's no second guessing. He's just goes. And it's like, mm -hmm. this is the loser of the family, ladies and gentlemen, you know? Yeah. And, the, you know, the way that he helps uh, his sister, who's been, you know, affected by the gas. And like, you know, the way he's able to immediately put together a stretcher with brooms and a blanket. Yeah. And it it's like, again, reminding that he has skills, but also that he got these skills because he's probably fallen off that wall many, many times and hurt himself. And so like he's, these are hard earned skills that he's gotten from failure that are helping him help his family. Um, he's probably had been had to have been carried on one of those before. And he gets his sister on the stretcher and they try to move up, but the, the door is locked and he needs to find a solution to get everyone up to the, the roof because this gas is getting higher and higher. And then that's when all of a sudden he realizes this is my time. I like the way you put that, the way he breaks through the glass of everyone telling him, are you crazy? You can't climb a building. You can't climb a building. 
and then he decides I'm going to do it. And um, like this is the great moment where he's able to. And I love how they set it up and they even like cut back and forth with flashbacks to show it's set up the exact same way that the side of this building is exactly like the rock wall that he fell off of. Yeah. And I love that, that this, this, this climbing scene is not like, it's not like Tom Cruise climbing the Burj Khalifa that they didn't go for the tallest building. It's not that tall a building, which is actually more stressful because they wish it were higher because they need to get above the gas. But it's this wall that like, if you live in, one thing I love about this movie is that if you've lived in Korea, if you've been to Seoul, every building in this movie you've seen there's a lot of buildings like this is a banquet hall where people have parties and you've seen them they have those weird little rocks sticking out of the side that as you're like walking through the city you kind of daydream like hmm, i wonder if you could climb that i absolutely could not but <laughs> doesn't help me from from uh doesn't stop me from daydreaming about it and so he's able to climb this wall and it's just so tense that you know it's something he's done before but now and it's probably the same height but now, because this gas is underneath him and he would could fall, it's so much tension. And they cut back and forth between him and the time he fell and him in this moment he can't. Yeah, and I mean, it's also a nice sort of moment for Yuju as well, because she's right there with him helping make the stretcher. And when she realizes what he's about to do, she happens to have a carabiner that allows him to basically make a, a makeshift safety rope and she sort of throws it to him because she's sort of she's sort of almost with him, but she's not quite there yet. She's a bit more resistant to, you know, jumping out of a building, which is understandable. But he's like, no, this needs to happen. We need that roof door open and it can only be open from the outside. Otherwise, we're all going to be trapped and my sister could die because we don't know what state she's in. And the fact that, as you say, everybody's against him and then he just does it anyway. He breaks free and he breaks the glass and then he starts climbing. We get the flashbacks to the climbing, but we also get flashes of the family. Most of them, not all of them, but quite a few of them are there watching and they're starting to show that they're quite ingenious as well. Like one of them uh, hangs out the side while someone else holds onto his legs so that they could film what he's doing and they can watch him because the two phones ring each other on like a video call which i thought was very clever but also funny they all basically have these moments of trying to like tell him to keep going like they're they've gone from being against what you hit what he's doing to like well now we you, you have to do this you've put yourself in the situation now come on you can do this and every single climb like you said the first couple of things he does is literally just slightly shimmying up a roof but it feels so yeah. tense because it's like he's already put himself into a precarious situation where if he does mess up or he loses his balance, he's going to fall straight into the gas and probably not get back up. Um, yeah. And then when he does jump and starts climbing on to the actual side of the building, every single moment, it just makes you sort of wince and go, is he going to make it? Because like you say, he's not climbing it like Tom Cruise at a Mission Impossible movie where it's easy to him. The only danger is, is that it's the tallest building in the world and his technology is failing. Whereas this guy, he's just an average guy. He doesn't really have safety equipment. And then in the end, the safety equipment actually hampers him. And so he gets rid of it, which is like, are you mad? <laughs> and that final jump he has to make without a safety harness. And it is, like you say, the jump that he failed. And he's trying to attach himself to something that wasn't designed to take human weight. 
because at multiple points in his climb, he's almost like pulled lampshades out of the building or slipped on a rock. And the other thing that Yuju gave him was chalk, which I didn't quite get to begin with. And then as soon as he crumpled it up, I was immediately like, oh, of course, it's going to increase your grip strength and it's going to make it much easier to stick to those surfaces. And the fact that they worked out how to incorporate that into some of those tense moments where it's like, yes, a normal person trying to climb might have slipped there, but he's got, he he always like doubly applies the chalk onto the surfaces and his fingers, which is like, mm. it's one of those things where it's such a smart movie that I like how he solves these problems. It's not just his physical ability. He has to mentally figure out how can I climb this building? It was not designed to be climbed. And then that last jump on the lion head that wobbles and breaks and snaps. And I'm just sat there like, nope, I couldn't do this. Even if I'd made it that far, as soon as it started wobbling, I think I would panic and that would have been the end of me. <laughs> yeah, and the, the perfect visual metaphor for how this how much this guy knows and how much his family doesn't respect that knowledge is when he first jumps out and grabs onto the other building and they're like, he's going to fall, let's help him. And they start pulling the rope. Yes. And he's barely hanging out with his fingertips and they're like pulling him backwards. But like, we'll literally just make it. All they're doing is making him almost fall back into the gas. And it takes the woman to come be like, guys, what are you doing? Please don't do that. He'll die. Let him go. And his family has to realize, oh, let's literally, they have to literally let him go uh, by letting go of the rope. Yeah. And, and he's able to prove himself and get to the top and open the door and let everyone out. Well, also, they have a nice moment where he's struggling to get up that first climb, and then his nephew is the one that actually yells, come on, uncle, you can do it. And it's like, that gives him the push he needs to, like, like summon that strength. And considering how, like we said, he basically didn't want anything to do with him, but clearly he did at one point. Um, that's such yeah. a nice moment where he, like, now calls him uncle, and he's like, you, you know, you can do this. And that that is kind of what pushes him forward. Um, and then, like you say, he gets to the roof and uh, everybody is telling him that he's nuts. And then you get that like sort of emotional reunion where the parents, uh, not that they didn't care about him, but if he was doubting it, that this is the scene that proves that they do, because they're like, what the fuck were you doing? Don't ever do that again. And I really liked that. And it's, you know, kind of made them realize that maybe they've been taking him for granted a bit. Mm hmm. Yeah, and then uh, you know he and um, they, they both come up with another thing that um, uh, probably came out of their you know rock climbing lessons as, as helicopters starting to come and rescue people and they see them only going to the higher buildings where you know there's more visibility. Um, they they suddenly realize that um, uh, maybe they need Morse code and that's something that maybe everyone else doesn't know. They know how to use Morse code. And then they start moving toward different ways to do it. Uh, some of the family members run down and get the karaoke machine so that they can make their voices louder. And they all get together and start like using their phone lights. And then uh, uh, Oiju realizes that um, there are lights on the building. And as the manager, she knows where the uh, the fuses are to to do Morse code that way. Yes. And uh, I I loved that Morse code sequence. I literally wrote in capital letters, uh, Morse code is still the OG code to beat. Like, how many films mm -hmm. is the solution Morse code? And I, I loved that. And then, you know, the helicopters do finally see them after, you know, they do all this stuff. 
And then we get a really emotional sequence where they realize that there's too many people for the helicopter to take them. The, the weight is too much. And I, I, I genuinely like felt this sequence where no one at first was like, well, well, what are we going to do? Like, we all have to get on. And the pilot and the, the guy was like, well, no, that if we try and take off with too many, nothing will happen except we'll crash. And the dad is immediately like, well, you get on, son. It's like, I'm old. You know, you go. And then the whole family starts arguing about who is going to stay behind. Like, all of them basically start volunteering to be the one left behind. And I love the fact that the parents who were the oldest there were like, no, it should be us. And then Young basically takes the decision away from them and tells them to take off. And he's like, I'll stay behind. And, you know, Yuju has also got to stay behind. And then the, you've got the her conniving evil boss man cowering and hiding in a corner, hoping no one notices him because he is not volunteering to stay behind. And he's like gripping the the basket like i have my place i'm staying right here yeah the fact that they went from you know berating him and hating on him to like i will give my life for you essentially is what they were saying uh mm -hmm. is just such a, a great moment because they don't have time to to play it out the helicopter just goes and then yeah. we get young nam and is it yuju you said sorry oiju oiju they have this wonderful moment where they both try and hold it together and then they realize that actually they're both crying and that they don't want to hold it together and then they kind of just let their emotions out as the reality of the situation at that point is the helicopter that is allegedly coming for them may not get to them in time and then as the scene goes on they realize that there is no helicopter coming for them which is just a, a harrowing moment <laughs> yeah yeah, and then all of a sudden, like, you kind of zoom out and see the city of Seoul, how big it is, and how, like, you know, there are higher buildings, but in order to get to them, you have to go down. And all of a sudden, like, it's, I love how Seoul is, like, the perfect place to set this movie. It's like a city designed specifically for this thing, because everything that happens from now, from here on out, is so Korean. Um, the way the buildings are set up, like when you go through a city like Seoul or Busan, like the buildings, like the signs cover them like barnacles. There's like, you know, these tall buildings, with like a million different businesses and they all have their signs and they're all different shapes. And like there, there's restaurants that have like giant crab statues attached to them. There's like things that look like ladders. There's um, like weird vents that are going to come uh, into effect later. There's also the subway, so you can go below the city. And there's all across uh, Seoul is the, um, you know, for the blind, they have special things that allow you to make your way through the city uh, above and on the streets and under the streets. And so it's this perfect setup for we need to use all of these things to figure out a way to survive. And I, I like the fact that from this point on, it, it cuts between these two and the family. Like, the family doesn't just disappear because the helicopter takes them away. You actually see that, A, they're proactive, and B, that they care. It's not a case of they're just like, well, we're safe now. You know, hopefully he makes it out, but we're safe. That's all that matters. It's like they all spend a good portion of the film trying to find out where he is. Is he okay? And some of them take more drastic measures, which we'll get to in a, in a moment. But um, 
the the sister gets taken to hospital and then they make the the, the, the very clever move of using these gas masks that they have about 10 minutes uh of air that they can use to move through the gas but i remember when they suggested it i was thinking well how is that going to work because the gas burns their skin and then of course you then the next shot you see them is they're running through and they come out of some of the gas bits and they're like wrapped in tape and then i just thought that's such a clever idea because you know they've literally sealed off their bodies and they've got these gas masks which you wouldn't necessarily think of and they're able to move to a different location. Yeah, they've taken the the trash bags that she spends her whole life using to, you know, clean up after other people in this job that she hates and uh and turned it into something what saves them. And I I love that they're like these brightly colored trash bags so they look like extra dorky as they have their gas masks and and covered in tape and garbage bags. And just run out into the the fog to try and find a a higher building to climb, and then as they get there, they realize that it's still um you know not only is the gas still rising, but these masks only last fifteen minutes and they're almost out, yeah, and then um Young makes the decision to basically leave her kind of stranded let's let's not be mm-hmm. let's let's be real here. Um, and he's going to use the last gas canister that they have to go and get the other gas canisters that he knows the location of because they're all kept in the same place in these buildings. But he has to be quick because A, he might run out of air, but B, she's going to run out of air and the gas is still rising. And it's quite, it's like at her sort of leg level. And then before mm-hmm. he gets back, she has to start climbing herself, which was not a nice scene because it sort of reminded you that she's got these skills as well. And then we get another... Uh, in my opinion, a funny emotional bit where she gets really mad because she thinks that he's left her, and then he like appears behind her while she's having her her rant, and then she turns around and she's like, "Oh!" And then yeah, she screams at him, and I thought that that's just that's more realistic than some sort of reunions you get where they would mm-hmm. like drag that out for like half the film, and I I liked that that just that these two people are very very stressed, understandably so. You know, it's like they're not gonna be perfect people all the way through and it it shows that he still has his awkward social skills because like you know the issue is that he's trying to explain to her what he's going to do through this gas mask and it's hard but like he doesn't take time to make sure that she understands him and just runs off and where he goes is down in the subway where they have boxes of those because there was there was an incident uh like 15 years ago something like that where uh someone had released gas in the subway which is probably what inspired a lot of this movie and that's why he every by law, every subway station has a box like that with full of gas masks. So he knew exactly where to go. And even though it's full of gas and he can't see, he knew to follow the, uh, you know, the, the raised, uh, yellow lines that are for yes. blind people to follow. And then when he comes back, um, the, what I love about her, cause like I, I mentioned about how they have this one skill. It's kind of that whole thing. Like if, if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail where she's like, all right, I'm going to do what he did. I'm going to climb this wall. And she has a whole sequence where she figures out how to climb this wall that doesn't have these outcroppings and do a lot of jumps and grab pipes. And then by the time once she, by the time she gets up there, he's already done his whole entire run and walked up the ladder on the other side. And she's like, he's like, oh, it's a good thing there's a ladder. And she's like, oh, wait, I could have saved myself a lot of time. Yeah, and I, I really like that sequence where he, like you say, he, he follows the, the raised bits. I got that. 
Um, because even though we don't have them like that all over the UK, we do have bits like that on train stations and raised areas on roads so that, like you say, that, that those with uh, visual impairments can still find where to cross the road, where the traffic lights are, where the edge of the platform is so that you don't fall off of it. And I thought that was, again, so smart to use everything that's already there in the city to your advantage. And at the same time, while all that's going on, we go back to the family and the dad has decided that he's going to go back because, you know, the there's too much going on. And the rescue people earlier in the film actually openly say, we have no idea how to respond to this. Like, we're doing the best we can, but this has never happened before. This gas is massive and we don't have the resources. You know, the rescue operation is going so slowly because the helicopters aren't really good enough and there are only a few of them that have the ability to carry those baskets. They've got tons of useless equipment that is of no use to this particular operation. So it's making everything way slower than it should be. So the dad gets a taxi driver to take him back to try and do something. And what I really like about that scene is that one of the other members of the family, like I think it's the uncle, so I assume it's the dad's brother, comes in with like a gas tank on his back and the taxi driver doesn't want to take him in, understandably. And they're kind of having an argument and then he walks in and, and they're like, how did you get that gas tank? And he's like, a Marine can overcome anything. And the taxi driver immediately salutes and the guy looks at him and he's like, oh, are you a Marine too? He's like, yes, sir, such and such, whatever. And then, you know, it it it, it pauses for a couple seconds and then it just cuts to them driving into the city. And I love the idea that even though they're, they're basically a bunch of old guys, it's like, yeah, Marines get it done. It's like, all right, I'll take you in now. I know that. <laughs> yeah, they, have, they have no plan. There's nothing they can do. Nope. They're, you know. they're just going to drive gonna and see out. what they can come up with. I love that sequence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we, you know, the family's freaking out and he's still stuck and they find another building. And like I said, we're moving into like all these different aspects of Korea. Uh, they end up in a um a gym looking for a way out they look for more masks they can't find anything and then it's all sealed shut like probably a lot of um that there's a lot of uh uh probably very illegal um safety issues here where like all the doors are are locked and windows are shuttered it reminds me of like that is a thing here um i was once at a department store here and what i watched a movie um on the top floor and my wife and I decided uh, to stretch our legs. We'd take the stairs down. So we went down the, the literal safety escape, like the one with the little sign that says, this is the stairs. Don't take the elevator, take these stairs in case of emergency. We walked down like uh, 20 flights of stairs, tried to exit and the door was sealed shut. And we went up another floor, that door sealed shut. So we went back down and we pounded on the door for like 20 minutes. till someone came and they had to move. They had like, use that as their storage and they had to move like boxes for five minutes and then peel the tape off the door to let us out. And they're like, what are you doing here? And like, we're like, this is the safety exit. So many people are going to die in this building. So there's a lot of that. And that's what this movie's kind of commenting on is that like when he jokes, like why does everyone lock the doors around here? Um, yeah, well, that's, that, that, that's going to happen a lot. <laughs> See, that kind of makes more sense because, yeah, later on in the film when he makes that comment, I was sort of like, well, I don't know why you would lock the doors to the roof because what are they worried that someone's going to sneak in through the roof? It it, it does <laughs> confuse me. 
And now that you've just said that, that just makes so much more sense. And that just winds me up because I used to work at a place that was kind of like that. Like, I think we've all worked with someone who's like, ah, well, this is never going to happen. Because I, I used to work at a place with uh, controlled substances and chemicals. And if some of those caught fire or were spilled, you had to leave, like now. And some people were just so lackluster with the safety precautions. And I'm like, dude, it's in its own room for a reason. If you threw a match in there, the fire department would not find what was left of you because it would fit in a matchbox and the building would probably be in another postcode. Like, please take this seriously, you know? Yes, indeed. Uh, and that's what they're coming up against. Then we get to that scene where they're trying to escape the gym. And the only way out is across the uh, to another building, and um, even though that building is shorter than the, the building that they're in, but there's no other way out, and so then they have to uh, climb across. And uh, the only way they they figure we got all these weights, why don't we just throw the weights across, and um, they'll hold the rope, and we'll shimmy across. Uh, Oiju shimmies first because she's lighter. And I love that whole tense, awkward moment where they're like trying to figure out how many weights they need. And it's also like, are um, they keep adding more? And it's like, are they doing that just for safety, or is it because like both of them are too awkward to admit how much they actually weigh because they're like also <laughs> trying to flirt with each other? So he's like, are you sure that that's enough to to hold your weight? And she gives him this look, and then like you cut to her throwing another one, and then. Uh, so the awkward one where he like he tries to pick up the weight that's too heavy and he's like, Oh no, 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 give me another one, give me another one, give me another one. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that, whole, that, scene, fun that scene made me laugh so much because you know, they throw all these weights over and then he lifts up that weight and I looked at it and I thought, You're literally balanced on a window. You're like, if yeah. you try and throw that, you'll probably do it, but you'll probably follow it. Like, there's no way you're gonna stop that momentum. And I love the fact that the music builds up to the idea that he's gonna throw it and then he's like no 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 give me another one <laughs> and i was like oh i do like the little the little bits of comedy that are blended into this like life or death situation but still find time to laugh yeah and then it's it's all funny but then she gets across and it's his turn and all of a sudden one of the another one of those extremely korean moments happens where you cut to the inside of a Samgyeopsal restaurant. Samgyeopsal is like the little bits of meat that you cook at your, your uh, table. Um, everybody sits around. You have them sizzling on this little pan, little table, and everybody picks at them. And you you show the gas all of a sudden swoop up toward the vent. And everybody who's ever been to a restaurant in Korea knows what that means, which is that, you know, since everybody's creating their table, you don't want the smoke filling the room. So above every table is this little dangling vent that shoots it out onto the roof. And as soon as you see that, you're like, oh, no, I know where that's going. It's going to shoot right up to where she's holding the rope that he's dangling from. And that's exactly what happens. And all of a sudden, it goes from, like, really funny to, like, oh, crap, we need to get this done right now. And then he's making his way slowly across. And... uh it gets really tense, and then the, the the fog envelops him, so she can't see. She assumes that he's he's died, and then all of a sudden, that heavy weight that he couldn't throw before comes flying across, and all now suddenly there's enough weight she doesn't need to hold that she can get out of the way, and he comes across in this hero pose with the um, gas mask and, and uh, 
Uh, he's taped himself back up and put his uh, suit back on and gets across safely. Yeah, that is a great sequence. I mean, I love the fact that they pay off the joke by bringing that weight back. Like, now he has no choice. It must happen. And, you know, you hear that big sort of build up on the scream and then he fl- it comes flying into the view of the camera and then she gets out the way. But also I like the moments leading up to that, which is that she wants him to get across before she'll move. And she will not move, even though he keeps telling her to. So he starts backing up and she's like, what are you doing? You're going to get trapped. The gas is practically there. And he's like, yes, but if you stay there, you're going to get hit by the gas. And when, you know, you're going to die. And she does kind of get hit by the gas, like her hands get burnt a little bit, as does his is revealed shortly after. But yeah, that that is such a great way to do that sequence because... He is, again, showing that he cares more about, well, her than his own life, but other people in general. He's like, I will figure out a solution that doesn't involve you having to stand there and get burned, basically. And, you know, that the way that he does throw that weight just makes me like, I I remember like cheering because it's like, Jesus, dude, you know, you're wasted if you're not going to join the Olympics next year because, wow, I think there are people that throw shot put that uh, I've got nothing on you. So yeah, they they he's proved he can solve that. They kind of get a little bit more respect for each other, and they keep moving on to more and more situations. And I think the next one is where they get to the top of that roof that's covered in uh, there's like a a flea market they call it, like this little yeah. market stands. There's a lot of like uh, um, mannequins and uh, cardboard cutouts of people, and uh, they kind of get the idea that nobody would rescue us when it was only two people. What if we pretend all these cardboard cutouts and mannequins are real, are other people, and uh, set up a little fake uh, diorama of people that need to be rescued? Yeah, that's a really funny sequence. And then it also leads into uh, a moral dilemma, which is like what a lot of these scenes in the film are, because whilst they're doing that, they then notice that the building across from them has people in it, but they can't get to the roof. And it's school kids, because it's like an after school thing. They then try and tell them how to get out and climb because there is like a ladder type object next to one of the windows. But when the kids try and do it, it then becomes apparent that this isn't something an average person can do. Like these two could do it because they are rock climbers. They have trained for this. They are physically built for this. And the kid tries immediately falls. And then the other kids have to try and like not drop him because he's attached by a rope and pull him back up. And then when the helicopter sees them, they have to make the decision of do they get saved or do they save the kids? And I love the fact that even though they both know the answer to that question, like unquestioningly, they they already know what the answer is. They Mm -hmm. still have that human moment of going, but why, why do we have to? Like, why can't we get out of this? We've been almost died like so many times tonight. And now we finally get rescued. But if we let ourselves be rescued, we're basically leaving them to die. And they can't get to the roof for the same reason that they couldn't get to the roof in the first place because the door is locked, which goes back to what you were saying. And the fact that they then take those same mannequins and make a makeshift arrow of which they then become the point and just like make an arrow. So the helicopter looks in that direction and sees the kids and that they need to rescue them is such a good moment because, again, they're shattered like they're not superhuman they're they're very fit 
but they have had enough and they are running low in terms of how much they can keep going. And you think, right, what's going to happen next? And they're, they're both tired. They both don't want to move. And then there's an explosion and it's like, you have no time to rest because that explosion makes the gas go whoosh. And all that time that you thought you'd just given yourself, it's gone. And that's why I do love your analogy to speed, because you're absolutely right. Every time the characters think that they're getting ahead of the gas or they've bought themselves time, something will happen that takes that time away and they're right back on the back foot and it's time to run again. Absolutely. And then I think before we get to like this one where like all of a sudden it's like we're not we don't have time to strategize and 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 figure out climbing anymore. Like we got to run. There's the scene where finally uh, dad gets to the river and looks across and there's uh, a couple of drone nerds that like are just there playing with their drones. Uh, no, no reason particular. They want to fly it in and see what's going on. And uh, dad convinces them to fly the drone in and see if they can find his son. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, they the, the police well, are like, what are you guys doing? You're not supposed to do that. There was a reason, because they were the ones that had been uh, paid by the news station, weren't they, to get footage of inside the gas? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that once they find something, they, they call the producer and, like, offer it to her. Uh, oh, okay. I, th I thought she, like, paid them to go and do it, and that's why they were being so shady about okay. it in the first place. That maybe, um, maybe I was wrong, but yeah. that's why I thought that happened. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, it seems they have a relationship with her, but the joke is just that they're not supposed to because, you know, it, flying drones through the city is illegal in Korea. A lot of people do it and it's, it's like sneaky like that. So, so yeah, I think they're trying to see if they can find something interesting enough to, to sell to the news. Right. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, if, if they, if they just fly it in and just show fog, it's going to just be a white screen and they're not going to have any, anything to sell to them. But once they, get this action-packed uh, running sequence of these two people, then it's like, let's call the news. We got something that they'll pay us for. Yeah, and the fact that the, the, the two characters are currently having a big parkour sequence again helps because they, they jump off of the roof by using mattress and pillows, which I love because it's like the same logic of stuntmen jumping off of something that they want something soft to land on and they need pads and then they grab this like metal frame that looks like it's from a bed but a bit bigger and they climb up that even though it looks super unsecure and then you get this like neon lit drone that follows them and i you know all of that sequence is just super fun to watch and then we start getting a big like montage of different people watching them and you start seeing the reactions of people across the internet across seoul across the country and then like it gets to their family who's now watching them on the news and i love like the fact that there's a, a moment where it cuts to like streamers giving their opinions on what's happening and then they have that moment where they're all like you know uh someone should be helping them and rescuing them like everybody's trying to essentially use the fact that they've got this notoriety to be like send help <laughs> why are they mm -hmm. doing this why are they stuck in there why is no one going to help them yeah, and I love that this sequence, even though it's, you know, the big cliche, all of a sudden everyone's watching, but it's not everyone. Uh, one of my favorite set of shots is like the first time you see this internet cafe, uh, you know, this, this is affecting Seoul, a certain area of Seoul, but other people just live in their lives. 
there's a whole bunch of kids just playing video games in an internet cafe, and one of them is watching the feed. Uh, and then you cut several minutes later, and like four of them are watching, but the other people are still playing video games. So other people are still going on their lives, but the people that are watching are like super into it, and like mukbang people that like they stream uh, them eating food have all of a sudden stopped what they're doing to like, hey, let's watch this. Um, you know, these people running and like shouting with mouths full of food and all the various streamers and all of a sudden like it's it's go time and we're watching as they like run across rooftops and swing on lines and climb up things and like you said the parkour action that they got going on yeah the the scene that always sticks out for me is probably one of the most simple i mean a it's where we get the crab climb that you were referencing where they they climb the crab but also they have a shot where they're both running on opposite sides of a roof and the roof is slanted. So they're both struggling to balance. And so to counterbalance, they hold on to each other's hands and sort of pull on each other. And I love, and A, obviously, like you say, they've been flowing with each other. So that kind of builds on that. But also I love the fact that there's a guy like commentating and he's like, you know, um, oh, and they're, they're so close to death that they hold on to each other for life and for love. And it's like, he's so over the top and dramatic. It's like, Dude, you know this is really happening, right? <laughs> it's not a film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's, it's it's a nice little that that little bit where they realize they can hold hands to hold each other's weight is just such a perfect little like Buster Keaton silent comedy moment. Yeah. But then, even after all of that, they're what they're trying to do is there's this crane that they spot in the middle of the city that like for construction it sticks way up above the fog, and if they can get to the top of that, the smoke can't reach them. But all of a sudden, the the path they, they've been following stops, and there's no way to get across to the next obstacle. And the fog has risen to the edge of the building they're on. They, re they think that there's no way they can go any further. And everyone watching is like, oh, no, they've given up. We don't well, know what to uh, do. Doesn't the drone end up dying at this point as well? So it's like they go from yeah. having like this drone following them, so they have this like boost of, I guess, energy and support. And then at their lowest moment, the drone dies and then they're on their own again. And it's like they're just left to their own thoughts. And yeah, they're the breakdown that they have, I think, is is brilliantly acted. I, I did make a point of saying Young's character does kind of go a bit OTT and melodramatic, like quite literally having a tantrum on the floor. But at the same time, I'm like, he's basically thinking he's he's dead. So it's like. Be as over the top as you like, you know. It's like yeah. no, no one really knows how they would react in that situation, you know. Yeah, it, it's he's doing all the normal action movie stuff, but like most people wouldn't just do those. Can't do a person can figure out a way to do that, but they're gonna need to build them up themselves up each time, and they're gonna need to decompress from it each time and deal with the stress of each one of those action set pieces they do. And yeah, he. He does it, and they are convinced that everything is all over. And then this big dramatic moment where all of a sudden, not just one drone, but the sky fills with these uh, colorful drones. And you're like, there's this moment where you're like cheering. You're like, yes, help has come. And you're like, hey, what the hell can a drone do? <laughs> like, yeah. You forget that. You forget that in the moment. But it's and you cut to all these various people that have been watching the streams and they're like, you know, hey, we got drones. 
and it's not just the same people it's like all these different people like they cut to like um bored bored teenage girls on a phone that happen to have a drone there's a guy that runs like an old man electronic store that's on his break his smoke break in the back and he's got his drone out then there's like a guy on the back of a motorbike that's just like the guy driving doesn't even realize he's doing it but he's just like oh while i'm on the back of this motorbike i might as well bring this drone over yeah and the it fills the sky and i I I love that just because I, I think like drones are a special effect that I'd like to see someone take advantage of more in movies. Like here in Korea, there's a lot of um, drone shows uh, like right out the window from my house. They every weekend they do this uh, drone show where they pro they have the city has like a um, hundred different drones covered in LEDs and they fly them up over the ocean. And every week it's different. So they they make these animations where there's like giant characters walking around in the sky and like people have proposed and they'll like, they'll like do the proposal, like an animation uh, uh, and play music. And there's like, for the um, new year, they had like this giant robot head that looked like, it, it just looked like in a Marvel movie where you'd see like a giant head floating in the sky, but like it's actually there. And it's so much more interesting than like CG gloops. I wish people would do more with that um and try to give us something new and interesting in a movie but like this just just the wall of brightly colored drones that don't necessarily fit together give you this exciting moment of help has come until you wonder what help can they provide and then it's um Yongnam that's able to figure out something that a drone can do to help them yes but also I I had that same moment of like, oh, this is so cool because all, all of the drones are like decked out with like lights and uh, neon strips and like paint jobs, and it reminded me of uh, like Need for Speed Underground back in the day of like the PlayStation Two with like how people decked out cars back then. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see that as much as I used to with cars, but it's almost like it, it's moved on to like the tech side of things. Like you see like computer towers that are just like massive light shows and. This is the first time I've seen drones decked out like that. Like you mm -hmm. said, it's obviously it's a it's a hobbyist thing, but um I was sort of sat there going, Okay, cool, there's a hundred cameras on them, but what's that gonna achieve? And then the way that they all moved out almost in sync, which is crazy when you think about it, because these pilots are not together, they're all over the place. So they're not able to communicate as far as I know, unless they all joined a Discord call, I don't know. But um mm -hmm. They all managed to move in synchronization to essentially combat the gas. They essentially fan out around the building that they're stood on, and they fly down into the gas and then fly back up because, of course, the propeller and the engine is pushing the gas away because the gas just goes with the wind. And I thought, that's so clever. It's like, so yes, Yongnam does come up with something in a minute, but I love the fact that the drone pilots themselves yeah. actually bought them the time to work out what they could do. Yeah. And I loved the lead drone that they were talking to and trying to come up with a plan with because I've never seen a drone be flown with that level of precision that it could like essentially nod its own head. Like it's, you know, it, it was sort of like, ah, oh, there's going to be a film out there that's going to make a drone and animate it like a puppy after seeing that. Mm. Like it's going to happen at some point. I could see it. But, um, the fact that they managed to give a drone a rope with a knot in it and a loop to try and loop it onto something onto the other building that they're trying to get to again clever moment 
Now, I'm still not convinced that the pipe that they eventually try and loop it around would actually hold their weight. But ironically, we'll kind of get to that. But I do find it, you know, clever how they managed to come up with a solution. And it's so tense watching that drone try and put a bit of rope around it because it's not the easiest thing to do because the drone can't actually see what it's doing. The pilot can see where the drone's flying, but it can either see where it's flying or it can look at the rope. It cannot do both. And the amount, yeah. of, you know, it takes like four tries to get that rope to go around it and then for them to tighten it. And it, again, it's so tense because you're just like, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. And the way that the also thing I love, because to show how little resources they have, he has no way to communicate with his drone. They don't have sound. So but he uses the exact same chalk he's been using to, uh, you know, put on his hands. Mm. He pulls one chalk out of the bag and draws a little diagram of what he wants the drone to do. And that little nod you mentioned, I've actually seen that happen once. Um, I was at a concert here in Korea like an outdoor concert just in the park and there's some like K-pop star performing and a drone flew over the crowd and started filming and the the singer stopped the concert and she's like, Minamida, Mr. Drone, sir, you're not allowed to film here. And the drone just did that little apology bow and zipped away and the whole audience was like screaming and clapping <laughs> for the little polite drone. He'd like, he did that exact little head nod and like, even though it's just up in the sky, you can tell like, you can tell the emotion. And so that's what this drone does, wraps the rope, and they start climbing, and everybody's excited. But, you know, this is a tiny little plastic pipe that's on an unfinished building and not really attached, and really not meant to hold people. You know, last time they did this in a short gap, they had like 30 ropes. This time they have one little flimsy rope that they're going to try and uh, zip line across. Yep. And, um, well, see, that's first the thing of all, the that, height uh... is Sorry, it's just that that was the thing that confused me is that they only had one rope and I was like, there's no way they could climb that. And then when I realized they were going to zip line it, it just brought all the tension back because I'm like, this ain't going to work. This is not yeah. going to work. And I, I have been the guy that stopped in the middle of a zip line that um, uh, they didn't anticipate the little bit of extra belly I got. And I just kind of stopped in the middle and a guy literally had to like get the thing and climb across the rope and pull me back. And it's it's it was a very embarrassing experience. So as soon as I do that, I'm like, "Oh no, I know what's going to happen here. I can see how loose this uh, rope is, and uh, there's two people on it. So they get stuck in the middle, and there is no time to shimmy because the gas is right there. And then they have to make a very tough decision. If you want to take that, yeah, uh, it's one of the weirdest sequences of the film because as soon as they stopped, I thought. Uh, okay, well, this is a problem. And then uh, she takes out a knife, and I thought, oh, God, no. Don't do what I think you're going to do. This this, this is not going to work. And, yep, she immediately cuts the other side of the rope, so they're only attached by the pipe, and they immediately start flying down, like Tarzan or Indiana Jones or insert hero that swings here. Not quite Spider-Man, though. And mm -hmm. as cool as the zipline sequence was, the fact that you know, the the second they start swinging, you're just like, oh my god, what's going to happen? And then it all goes wrong. The pipe, yeah. the rope comes off the pipe, the pipe kind of breaks, the drone kind of falls, everything starts going wrong, and then they start falling, the drone starts falling, and then the last shot is, they're falling, they've got no way to get out of this, the drone feed 
cuts and you don't see what happens next and neither does anybody else and you're just like what just happened mm. and that's it it, yeah. it it cuts to you know other stuff and then you have to wait for a helicopter to come in and look at the area and there's no one there the helicopter's like nope it doesn't i can't see anyone and then finally it no, you know, they get noticed, and I love what Young Nam shouts that he's like, "Look at us for once," which I thought was yeah. great because it's like the amount of times the helicopters saw them but didn't. It's like, come on, they must have been passed over by like thirty-five helicopters throughout that film. Yeah. <laughs> and for and finally, they're able to save save themselves using party supplies. The things he stole from the party place at the very beginning, they had some sparklers uh, that he he took when he was grabbing supplies. They taped them all over this uh this arm of the crane, and that's what's able to get them to to see them and find rescue. You get the hero shot of them coming up, climbing this uh this tower, and finally get rescued. Yes, and then we get the reunion at the end of the film, where you know he gets to see his family. His sister's okay. His mom's okay. The dad comes back and. Everybody cries and everybody gets emotional and, you know, they've got a newfound respect for him. And uh, Uju, on the other hand, she ends up reuniting with the boss that essentially abandoned her on the roof. And he's trying to pretend like he cares about her because that was the bit I left out earlier. He is very much trying to convince her that being his girlfriend would be great for her in, in every sense of the word. And he's like, oh, I'm so glad you're safe. I was so worried about you. And what I love is in the beginning of the film, she's just sort of like not really sure how to deal with it. Is kind of just accepting it. But after everything that they've been through, she just turns around and punches him in the face and knocks him on his ass. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to happen. <laughs> yeah. The exact the exact diehard punch. You, at the end of action with this, you need the diehard punch or she punches a reporter. And then my favorite thing about this movie is, you know, she has her dramatic moment, but the point of every one of these movies is that you have the timid person that's learned to stand up for themselves and they're finally going to go for what they want. They're finally going to like kiss the girl or whatever. And these two meet up and they're still such dorkass losers that they still just flirt like middle schoolers and can't communicate what they actually want. And they never kiss. They just, there's an awkward moment where he like tries to give her back the carabiner that he uh borrowed, and she's like, "Oh, I'll get it from you later. It's too heavy." Like she's too awkward to say like, "Hey, why don't we go out sometime?" She's just like does that cliche thing of like leaving a hairbrush at someone's house. You have an excuse to go back. Yeah. Um, and he, she's she's too awkward to just say what she wants. He's too much of a dork to get what she's trying to say. And he's like, it's not heavy. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then when they both realize what they're doing, they just have this little like, <laughs> like middle schoolers flirting. Yeah. And that's it. That's all you get out of them. And I also love that like in this scene, like they're all banged up from their, what they've done. It's not like in action movies, everyone that's injured has the one like red line under their eye. That's like the attractive way to do battle damage. His face looks like someone's gone out to on the side of it with like a cheese grater and like her hair is all sticking up and weird. And, um, you know, they're they're still very attractive actors, but they they're able to like, let's make them look like dorks. Let's show that like they're they're not different people. 
They this hasn't turned them into like uh extroverts, but they both see in each other a way to respect one another and something's gonna come of this in the future, even if they're gonna keep being dorks about it. Yeah, yeah, because I think one of the the things that I I was kind of watching this going she said no at the beginning, and I kind of wasn't sure if I wanted her to say yes at the end of the film, because it's yeah. like, oh, he's proven that he is, like, capable of doing life or death situations, and it is, like, a cliche to be like, oh, now you're worthy of being my boyfriend. But like you say, I like the, I love the fact that they don't do that, and they actually show yeah. you that she is so much like him that I genuinely think that she did like him to begin with. It's just that However, he asked her out, didn't quite land. And I don't think mm-hmm. he'd ever really spoken to her outside of that because the he's such a, like you say, a timid introvert. And we then realized that she is also a timid introvert, that all of the sort of um, preconceptions that he had about her probably back then were likely wrong. It's like she wasn't this amazing extrovert social butterfly that i they sort of frame her as through his eyes it's like no she's exactly the same as you dude it's like you probably uh, just came across as weird because your social skills are so low but when you're not trying to uh pretend or lie or go after the stuff that you don't you're not really suited for the real you comes out and it's like yes they're still dorks but it works, you know, they they still have these other skills. And I think they've kind of realized that they do have a value now. And that kind of allows them to be a bit more open. Yeah. And that, and then it, they give those dorky smiles and it cuts to this like song that like this little upbeat song, like this morning, like I, I'm recording from, uh, from Korea. So I, I got up at like 6am to do this and I'm like, I don't, I like, uh, how am I going to wake up? I don't drink coffee. So I just played the end of that movie again where it suddenly kicks into like, I'm a superhero and then like a bunch <laughs> of Korean. And I'm like, yeah, dorks. Yeah. Dorks can do it. And they show like, it's, it's just, the credits are like, like action poses from the movie, but like, like they chose, like some of them look actiony, but then some of them are like, they cut at where they have like a weird face or like they're an awkward pose, but they like freeze on it. Like it's a, an action pose and like cut into like comic book, like filters and like bright lines and stuff and it's just so energetic and then the the very last thing that i love is where they they show what happened in that like moment where they fell and nobody knew what happened yeah and even though it's been going really fast all of a sudden it cuts to slow motion and you see that shot of them falling but of course with the filters on it and like they they slow down to make you realize oh we're going to another scene we're gonna see what action-packed things they did to get out of the situation finally and you see them slowly slowly fall and then it's basically so short it's like an animated gif of like a looney tunes cartoon where they hit the like green netting that they put on the outside of buildings to keep people specifically for people that are following falling and they just bounce like like wily coyote into the building and they they didn't do anything to save themselves it's just like boing oh okay i guess we're fine let's climb Yep, it was complete, pure luck. It had nothing to do with them whatsoever, which just perfectly fits their theme all over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as, as slow as this movie starts, at the end, I can't watch it without, at the end, just 
waving my arms, pumping my fists and screaming, yeah, nerds. Oh, yeah. I mean, that ending sequence with the comic book aesthetic is great. The song is great. The little ending bit made me laugh so much because I was like, really? That's how they survived? Freaking idiots. Mm -hmm. But okay. And it really does just go with the theme of the film. Like you said previously, you know, it really is a film where all the nerds and dorks come together at the end to try and save the day, whether it's the rock climbing enthusiasts, the drone enthusiasts, whether it's the themes of the different family members, you know, working out what they've got to do. And it really does feel like everybody's trying to help them after everybody kind of abandons them. And that's a great sort of message. It's like everybody realizes that maybe they were doing things a little bit wrong. You know, the two main characters realize that it, the world wasn't necessarily against them and they weren't really helping themselves, but everybody else sort of realized that actually they kind of misjudged them and were not really helping them. They were just berating them, which wasn't achieving anything. And I liked that. Yeah. It's like everybody had a message to take away from this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, when you watch this movie and like at the, in one of those sequences at the beginning, uh, someone says, calls his uh, climbing a useless skill. And like immediately, it can feel pat that then that skill is what solves it. But there's another Korean movie. Have you ever heard of Hashtag Alive, the zombie movie? Yes. Um, there, there's a similar thing in that. I saw that after this. And like they casually, the character who's trapped in his building and surrounded by zombies casually uh, mentions like that he's taken rock climbing courses. And then as he's exploring, he stumbles across this room that's inexplicably, inexplicably filled with uh, rock climbing equipment. And then toward the end, they set up that like they need to get to the top of a building, but the stairwell is filled with zombies. And you're like, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And then that never happens. They completely ignore all of that setup and just run up the stairs with a bike hitting zombies in the head with a bicycle. And you're like, what are we doing? We just spent an hour setting up that you have all the skills and resources necessary to climb this building. And it's so unsatisfying. I don't know if it was done on purpose or if there was a rewrite or they just couldn't budget in the climbing shoot. But like, it just shows how sad, how like important it is to like, if you set something up, like how satisfying it is to be like, this skill is what saved the day. Yeah, no, I agree. I, like I said, I am super happy that Exit was the film that we did because i just loved it you know i'm i'm actually looking forward to watching it again i mean this this past couple of weeks has been super busy with films and obviously um a lot of other stuff has been going on but exit was just such a nice thing to sit down and watch in the evening that it you know it's nice to watch a self-contained movie and i would love a sequel i would love to see these characters again i don't know how they could do a sequel i mean there's they, they there's ways they could you know what i mean but I just yeah. like spending time with these two characters that any excuse to bring them back, I'm down for, you know? I don't know if they will, but it's just nice to watch something that, that it's not like exit number five, you know? It's like, yeah. this is just one film and it's like, ah, refreshing. <laughs> Here's my pitch. Entrance. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what would happen, but there would be an entrance in some way. You know, they'd have to get into somewhere. Yeah, instead of out. trying That's to get out, they've got to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope people check out this movie, and I hope you fall in love with the dorky side of uh, 
Korean movies as I have. And um, if you don't mind, I for, for uh, viewers that uh, might have watched this movie and wanted to watch more um, dorky Korean action movies, I have a five. If you uh, if you allow me, yeah, yeah, go for um, it. All right. So, I mean, I didn't include this movie, of course. We've already discussed it. But uh, let's start with number five. There's a movie called Sinkhole. And I call that uh, Powering Inferno, but with a dork. <laughs> and that's basically, um, it's all about how uh, in Seoul, all anyone ever talks about is real estate. It's kind of like that Californians sketch on Saturday Night Live where all they talk about is um, which road you take to get places. People are always talking about real estate. This guy's just bought a new apartment in Seoul. His life dream, it's not the best apartment, but he got what he could. And then a sinkhole opens up under the building and his entire building falls like 100 stories into the center of the earth. And he needs to find a way to climb out as it fills with water. And um, a nice uh, nice fun action movie. Number four is called Saving My Hubby. And it stars Beduna, who is, uh, people know from like Sense8 and some of those things. and I call that Taken, but with a dork. And it is actually the wife that has to do the rescuing this time. And her her husband hasn't been kidnapped by, like, this international ring or anything. It's just, like, her husband is a lightweight and went out drinking with his boss and, and had, like, two drinks. And it was enough to get him wasted. And he got, like, taken in by these con men that their whole thing is they, they take in drunks and rack up fake bills and force them to pay. And so she has to go and rescue him, but she's also taking care of the baby. So she has to rescue him while carrying their infant and <laughs> ends up causing so many problems that the entire mafia is after her and trying to stop her. And she has to fight off the mafia while not being a fighter or an action hero and making sure her baby doesn't get hurt. That one's a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. Uh, it's a great movie. Number three is The Foul King, which I'll call Rocky, but with a dork. And it, it stars Song Gang-ho, who was in Parasite. Uh, he is this uh, banker who just hates his job. No one respects him. Kind of the same thing. Everyone tells him he sucks. So he decides that the one place he can get respect is uh, to start wrestling. And, um, and he becomes like this crazy masked wrestler. And, but he sucks at that, too. And uh, never wins a fight, never gets the girl, but he sure does uh, get beat up a lot and try. That's a lot of fun. Number two is The Host, which people may know as the Bong Joon-ho movie uh, about a monster attacking Seoul. And um, it's about how this monster is rampaging, has kidnapped this this guy's daughter. But the there's so much bureaucracy that no one actually tries to stop the monster. They kind of put a tangent on that like they think there's a virus that came from the monster and they're like locking up the only people everybody that's in an action movie that you know would save the day they're all in quarantine so it's up to this terrible loser family that has no skills to try and stop the monster and finally number one the movie that i wanted to talk about on this podcast but for some reason has become completely unavailable is no longer in print is no longer streaming, is called Breakout, or Leitro Kera. I call it Under Siege 2, but with a dork. Because it is about a uh, this absolute loser who has lost everything and uses his last 50 cents to buy a lighter so he can smoke. 
and then a gangster steals that lighter in the bathroom. And both of these men have their entire self-esteem wrapped up in this lighter. It's the last thing he has, so he needs to get it back. And the gangster, like his underlings, have stopped respecting him. And if they find out that he stole somebody's 50-cent lighter, they'll lose all respect for him, so he can't give it back. And it, they end up reenacting Under Siege 2, where someone has hijacked the train and one man can save them, but he only wants his lighter back. And I love it so much because the stupid stakes make it so much more uh, powerful. But like, just give the man his lighter back. So that's my top five movies. If you can find them and you want an action movie fix with dorks in it, that's what I want you to look at. Yeah, and I will just add as well that if someone does have Breakout or knows where it lives feel free to reach out because we will definitely do that movie because i saw a trailer for that and it looked hilarious and awesome and uh, that was 100 percent the film that we were gonna do until we just couldn't find it and it was really disappointing not that exit wasn't good though like exit is definitely fun but breakout was the original choice so if people out there on the internet if you could find it please let me know where it is and we will do an episode on that no doubt all right be the the one episode where literally no one in your audience has seen the film because they can't. Well, someone will have because they'll be the ones that yeah, send well, it to me. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll just do an episode just for that person and they'll... Uh... Such yep. a good movie, though. Oh, yeah. No, it's cool because what will happen is is we'll make so many people aware of it that someone out there will have it and then it will find its way online. You know, And once that happens, everybody can find it you know it's, it just takes that one person who has it to go oh i didn't realize this was so hard to find let me uh let me let me solve that problem but uh anyway thank you very much for coming on the show ryan i hope you've enjoyed yourself and is, where can people find you if they want to stalk you or follow your work or just bug you about korean movies well you can find me at ryanestrada.com everything you need social media and stuff is there uh, all of the books that I make uh, are there. There's a lot of free comics. You can go there and read Learn to Read Korean in 15 minutes. And uh, literally 15 minutes later, you'll be able to read all the signs in the background of the Korean movies. You'll read the titles. You're not going to know what those words mean, but you're going to be able to read it phonetically and realize that a lot of times uh, Korean signs are just English words written in Hangul. Um, you can find Fan Book Club. That's my uh, story about my wife. Uh, growing up in 1980s Korean, being hunted down by the police for uh, smuggling banned books. I have a new book coming out called Occulted uh, on May 2nd. That is the true story of my friend escaping a cult just down the road from uh, Heaven's Gate. That um, She wanted to be a scientist, but they wouldn't let her study uh, science. She was only allowed to study science fiction because this cult taught her that Star Trek was real. Gandhi was a space alien and the United Federation of Planets was coming to get uh, them. And it was only by reading books uh, and sneaking into a library that she was able to learn what she needed to escape. And we told that story. And there's all the information about that and all my other books that you can read for free are at ryanestrada.com. And my email's there if you got questions about weird, dorky Korean movies. Those, those books sound amazing. Uh, Band Book Club, I definitely might have to pick up at some point. So yeah, go and check out Ryan's stuff. The comics are also quite are, are funny and hilarious as well. Like I'm, I bet you, Bunny, that you've probably seen some of Ryan's comics if you've strolled around the internet for long enough. I certainly have. Well, yeah, check them out. And for action fans, I do have some 
some weird free action comics in there. You can just read them for free. You don't got to buy nothing. Just click a button. Excellent. And on that bombshell, thank you once again to Ryan for joining me, but I'm going to hand you over to the me of the future to tell you what is coming next. All right, guys, there you go. That's the end of the episode. And this is the point where I would normally add anything that perhaps I needed to add when I've edited it. But in this instance, I haven't actually done that yet. Normally, I film my intros and outros after I've edited the main episode. In this instance, I can't do that because I'm bulk recording these intros and outros because by the time you hear this episode, I will be away. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. But I wanted to make sure that there was actually some episodes for you guys to listen to. And with the popularity of the Shinobi season in the future, I really, really, really needed to get these episodes done so that we can have a on-time themed month, unlike the disaster that was spooky action cinema in october last year which admittedly wasn't my fault the computer died but it still messed up the themed month so i don't want to do that again now as you will have heard us say in the episode and as i teased in the intro originally we wanted to do a different film we wanted to do breakout and breakout it turned out was a nightmare to find well it didn't take long for me to say that to some of my uh my action film friends that's uh, many of which have been on the show to basically come together and i now have a copy of breakout and i'm pretty sure in the future ryan and i will come back together and we will do the original film that he suggested and it looks hilarious it looks action-packed and i'm really looking forward to reconvening with ryan in the future and uh, hopefully we'll have a good time with it but thank you once again to ryan for coming on it was a great pleasure to have you i really enjoyed hearing your opinions and i hope you guys did as well Next week's episode, as uh, most of you should already know, is going to be on the Scott Adkins film Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday, a.k.a. Accident Man 2. That's going to be with our good friend Andy Gorham returning once again to discuss uh, Scott Adkins. He was on with me to talk about the original Accident Man not that long ago or a while ago now, depending on when you how you want to look at it. But I think you guys will enjoy that one. We have a bit of a not a disagreement as such, but my love for the original Accident Man film is really, really hard to top. And whilst I absolutely love Accident Man 2, I'm a lot more critical of it. And as I explained in the episode, that's not entirely the fault of Accident Man 2. It's because of the caliber of the people involved in Accident Man 1. So that's probably going to be an interesting episode for people to listen to. And I hope you're looking forward to it. But that's going to be it for today's episode. So take care of yourselves, stay safe, be awesome, and I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful summer. But either way, I will see you in the next one. On the Action Addicts Podcast!